smiling, all the laughter and, and talking. I think it's my favorite part about Wednesday night. Thank you all for being family. Um, it's just so good to be here with you tonight. Um, I've just been excited all day. You know, some days, I think I told Randy last week, some days developing a message and just praying through a message is, is, is awful. I mean, it's like you're just dying on the inside. And other days, it's just life-giving and exciting. And I don't know what the difference is. I think, I think maybe it's, uh, I think it's some, some of those days that, that you just have to die to yourself more than others. And, and, and it, it can be painful. But t- today was one of those days I'm just excited. I'm excited about what we're talking about. I'm excited about um, just receiving the antidote to live. You know, that's what we've, been, what we've been talking about. So, just a little bit of review from last week. So, we need an antidote to be able to live. We're in this world, and Jesus is that antidote. Fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, they all have a poisonous and deadly root. Not only is the root poisonous, they're they're actually death just on us. When, When we're living in anxiety, when we're living in fear, when we're living in doubt, we're missing something very, very important. So what is that thing? We know, we know the root of it's pride, but what are we missing? What are we, what are we missing out on? Because we're all born with pride, but there's an antidote to pride. And that's realizing that there's something bigger than you out there. It's faith. And it's the faith that, that God literally gives you. It's not your faith. It's His faith. It's the faith of Jesus, as we read last week. It's the faith of Jesus that you have. Not just faith in Jesus, but the faith of Jesus. He's given you a supernatural faith. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those are, those are spiritual gifts that God gives you. And faith is just like that. But it's like everything else. He entrusts us with it. And everything that he gives us, he's stewarding, that we are stewarding for him. We're taking care of it. What's a steward do? He takes care of his master's things. So if those spiritual gifts he's given us to steward, which direction are we pointing our faith in? And if we're dealing with anxiety, if we're dealing with fear, if we're dealing with doubt, if we're dealing with unbelief, we're not alone. We've all been there daily sometimes. But if he's given you the measure of his faith, and we're dealing with those things, we're pointing his faith in the wrong direction, and we're walking in the flesh instead of in the spirit. As soon as we turn around and we realize who we are in Christ, that we are heirs in Christ, that we are with Christ, we are children, we're adopted, we're he's a good father. We've got to remember all these things. A lot of us maybe haven't had a good father or haven't had a good example of this in our lives or, or, or maybe we were abused or neglected or you name it. There's a million different things. So we have a, a wrong picture in our, our mind of who God is. But Jesus himself said that I do nothing that I haven't seen the Father do. So a lot of people, you know, they're like, I like this Jesus dude. He's, he goes around healing people. He goes around... Um, encouraging people, I mean, even the broken people, even the sinners. He, he goes in, the, the woman at the well, he says, I'll give you living water. 
now go and sin no more. He encouraged her. He gave her the power to overcome. Amen? Well, that's the same as the Father. The Father is good, and He loves you. So faith is how we overcome the world. We read a little bit of that just at the, at the end of the worship time. This is what, what we are basing this series on. So 1 John 5.1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we, when we love God and obey His commandments. So tonight, what I'm going to talk to you about, if, if faith is the antidote to live, how do we apply it? What, what's, if, if Jesus has given us the good news, if He's given us the gospel, if He's taken care of the law, what, what is left for us to obey? So that's what we're going to talk about tonight is obedience. Because for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. So we're going to look at a few of those things tonight. And what, I'm, what I want to kind of title it is it's application of the antidote. So it's obedience. So if faith is the antidote, we apply it through obedience. And the funny thing is, is a lot of us think, have thought that we've been obedient in our own works, in our own righteousness, that we're good enough, we're, we haven't done those things that those people over there do. And in doing so, in that mindset, we're being disobedient to Christ. And that's kind of a, it's a strong word, but when we, when we look at people like that, we're not showing the love of Christ. We, we are called to lift up, to encourage each other, to live right, to, to all of these things. But we've got to, at the very core of our being, understand the good news. It's so much better than we, than we even can comprehend. Scripture says that, that God is no longer holding our, tre- our trespasses against us through Christ. That's good news. I have a lot of trespasses. I've trespassed against people. Other people have been trespassed against me. And praise God that all of us have been forgiven of that. Amen. So what, what's left for us but to believe, to have faith? That's what we have to keep stirring up. So 1 John 5, 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I told you last week about my son. He, he cracks me up. We've, uh, we've worked with him and worked with him and, and talked to him about how God has made us to where we can overcome the world. So what's that mean to a seven-year-old? It means the good guys always win. And I really believe that. I don't know about you, but I, I really believe if we trust God, no matter what's going on, we're going to win. So, But to a seven-year-old, in the most simple ways... He can watch, he, he, loves, he loves watching shoot 'em ups just like the rest of us, or dinosaurs, or whatever it may be that, that week. But he loves action, and he loves danger, and he loves all these things. And, but he has this compass inside him, doesn't he, Grandmommy? That the good guy always wins. When he goes to Grandmommy's house, he usually is watching uh, John Wayne and some of Papa's old favorites, and some of the new ones too. 
But the good guy wins. Why? Because Christ has overcome the world. And He's made us more than conquerors through, through Him. So who is it that overcomes the world except the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's the whole concept that God is building His church on. When Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am? What did Peter say? He said, well, some say you're a prophet, some say you're this, some say you're that. And Jesus said, who do you say that I am? That you are the living God, the Christ. And Jesus told him, Peter, that's what I want to build my church on. That's what he, he set Peter forward to do. And we get to partner with, with all of the saints since then and continuing to build his church. The church is simply the gathering of his people. It's the body of Christ. It's, it's who we are. And we talk about one day uh, Jesus coming back and, and us being in heaven and, and we, all that stuff, yes. But he's coming back for a beautiful bride that has prepared herself, that has had the Spirit poured out on her according to the Scriptures. So there may be people that try to tell you doom and gloom and all these things, and there is darkness in the world, and I'm not going to say that there isn't because there is. But if the Father is going to pour out His Spirit in the last days, who wants to just be there with me? I want to be in that outpouring of His Spirit. Amen? So there's, there may be darkness, but where He pours out His Spirit, there's going to be light. Once we've arrived at the faith and salvation that we begin our walk with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be and do what we were created for. Here's the second antidote. And it's how we apply faith. And that is obedience, saying yes. I had, I don't know if many of y'all have Facebook, but two years ago, Jasmine and I were in the transition from Sherman to Texarkana. We, a picture flashed up on my screen this week. Um, and it was us with a trailer load of furniture headed this way. And I just remember telling God, if this is you, yes. And I really believe that he said, if you go, there will be much fruit. Now, I'm not trying to brag on myself, but Jasmine and I said, it's, it, we will be uncomfortable for a while. We're leaving all of our friends and everybody we know, and we're simply trusting in what God said. We didn't know what was here waiting on us. We had an idea, which was totally different than what, we, than what was actually here. But God has proven himself faithful over and over again. One of my, um, one of the, the favorite stories of God's provision through the Bible is Elijah. And I, I just love how God provided for the prophet over and over again. But do y'all know that the people in the Bible, they were like us, outside of Jesus, they were like us. They weren't perfect. They had bad days. They had bad hair days. And do you realize that not everything they do just because it was written in the Bible was right or good or there's a lot in there these people we, we they're walking in the same skin you and I are amen so I want to first look at Elijah 17 now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab and Ahab was a king at the time Ahab and Jezebel as the Lord God of Israel lives, 
before whom I stand, there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. So he just told them that it's not going to rain. Now, why, why, did, why did Elijah have such an issue with Ahab? Because Ahab and Jezebel were worshiping Baal. They, they had all these prophets around them. They had all these people around them, and they were, they were worshiping Baal. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith. So he just told the king, it's not going to rain until I tell you it's going to rain. And he put his foot down. Now he was, <laughs> that's a bold man. Think about that. That's a bold man. That's a bold statement right there. But God told him to go to the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he did. He went and he did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. God even used the ravens. I mean, could you imagine that being your sustenance? Like, I don't know if I want to eat anything a bird brings to me. But guess what? Was his provision with Ahab? No, his provision was at the brook. And it was there waiting on him. That's where the, that's where the birds had been commanded to feed him. But he had to say, yes, I will go. Yes, I will say what you've told me to say. And yes, I will go. And then there is this supernatural provision that happens. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I haven't seen a lot of birds bringing me anything. Usually they're just still in the pecans and the peaches. They've never brought anything to me. But it's, every time I think of a crow, a raven, I think of my dad. He has a pecan orchard, and he absolutely despises the things. He likes to sit out on his porch with his pellet gun and, I guess you can imagine the best, the rest of it, because he, uh, he only has 30 pecan trees, so when they come in and take a pecan, he gets upset. <laughs> anyway, so Elijah's fed by the, by the ravens, but he had to say yes to saying what God told him to say, and he had to say yes to going where God told him to go. So next, in the same chapter, is the widow of Zarephath. A starving widow. I mean, how many of you would have the boldness to go to a starving widow and say, go fix me a cake to eat and bring me some water to drink? Now, this is supposed to be a man of God. Isn't he supposed to be serving her? Like, that doesn't make sense even in my mind, okay? So, so God's Word, here's another thing about God's Word. When He sends you somewhere, there's usually a time and a season. So the next season has come. Don't get stuck in your last season. We need the living bread. We need the, the living water. We need to continue in what God's saying. It's not, it's not, it, it's a walk. Think about, think about Abraham going up the mountain with Isaac. Aren't you glad he checked back with God on what he was supposed to do on top of that mountain? Otherwise, it would have been the God of Abraham. 
instead of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because God provided in the time of need. So the widow, when the word, when the word of the Lord came to him, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And she was going to bring it. And he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord God, the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked and only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Put yourself in that position. She's not just being dramatic. This isn't just for for drama. Because the prophet was faithful to what God said and because the widow was faithful to what the prophet had even said, she found herself provided for. It was, let's, let's read on. And Elijah said to her, Don't fear. Go and do as I've said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, for afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And he went and did as Elijah said, and she, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that was spoke by Elijah. This is Old Covenant. This is before Jesus. And God still provided. Your and my words, in them dwell life or death. We choose which we're going to speak. I was, uh, I don't want to tell that story. Maybe another time. So even after that, you know, the, the widow saw the provision. She saw what God could do. And then her son dies. Just because we're in God's provision doesn't mean that the bad things don't happen. But guess what? It was another opportunity for God to show himself powerful because Elijah prayed for her son and rose him from the dead. God's provision is there. Even in a dark world where, where, where we're in doubt and we're in fear and we're in famine and, and it's not rained in years, God's provision is there. Another favorite part of, my sto- this, of this story is, is when it finally came time, Elijah went back the king and said, okay, it's, it's time for it to rain again. He spoke it. He spoke what God had said. <laughs> and then, then he's sitting there. He's got his, his head between his knees and he's praying. I can only imagine, God, I haven't seen a cloud. Where's this rain? You, t- you, told, me to, you told me to send, or th- that you were going to send. So he sends his, his servant out. Go see. Go look. Go see if there's, if there's a cloud. Go look towards the ocean. Seven times he sent him back. Go look, go look. You think he was sitting there thinking like you and I, did I miss it? 
How many of you have been there? Like, we know we can hear from God. We, we know that we've, we have people around us that can hear from God. This is why it's important that we're in community, by the way. Because there's times where we've got our head down between our knees and we're going, God, did I miss it? Or was that really you? So the seventh time, of course, God comes faithful. And the, the servant comes back and says, uh, there's a cloud about the size of a man's fist. And so Elijah said, that's it. That's all we need. You better get in the chariot and you better go to Ahab now or the rain's going to stop you. So the servant loads up and goes. So you would think that these things, you'd think that Ahab would get it. He didn't get it. Even at that, him and Jezebel were still worshiping Baal. And you would think, okay, well, Maybe he's just hardened his heart against God. And he's going, well, if you're, if you're not going to make it rain, then I'm not going to serve you. I don't know what his thought was. I don't know. But they were worshiping Baal. And I'm telling you, it infuriated um, Elijah. So what did Elijah do next? Elijah confronts Ahab. And the guy had some, he had some gall. Because they, they were worshiping Baal again. He said, well, why don't you get those 450 prophets of Baal? I'll tell you what, you get a cow, and you give me a cow. And we'll split it up, and we'll put it on two altars. And, uh, and so the prophets of Baal were, were sitting there. They, were, they cut the, the cow up. They put it on the altar. And they said, okay, now, now have, have Baal call fire down on your altar. Guess what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. Nothing at all. What did Elijah do? He said, well, maybe, he's, maybe your God's using the bathroom. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's, uh, maybe he's on a trip or he's away somewhere. And so he's just making fun of him. Uh, I, I don't think Elijah was a very patient man. Um, maybe he was. I don't know. So he says, okay, well, since, since your God's asleep, why don't you bring me all the water you have, and let's dump it on the altar. No, that's not enough. Bring some more. Bring some more, bring some more water. And he said, God, pour out your fire. He's standing there in boldness. And God, pour out your fire. God sent fire down. And, and it says that the fire was so strong that it even lapped up the dust. How many of you want to be bold? How many of you want to walk in boldness? I do. I want to be bold. I know God's powerful. I don't understand why some, some days there's a, a, a miraculous healing and other days there's a healing that takes a long time. I don't understand the difference. I don't, I don't know why. I can't give you an answer why. But what I can tell you is I trust God. I trust that He's good. I believe His Word. But we can't get arrogant in it. We can't expect that we understand as God understands, but we can expect that He will walk with us step by step by step, just like He did Elijah. So after this, this whole ordeal with the 450 prophets, Elijah takes a sword and he goes and he kills all of them. I'm telling you, I don't think he was a very patient guy. That's a pretty rough day right there, 400... Wow, that's rough. That, that, again, that's Old Covenant. But you know what happened next? 
He'd done these amazing things, but he, I think that he wore himself out. I think that he had got tired. I think that, that he grew weary in, in good doing, as, as a lot of us do. Because Ahab went and, and he told Jezebel, he said, all that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with a sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do the same to me and more also if I do not, if I do not make your life as the life of, of one of them by this time tomorrow. So then the prophet Elisha, he was afraid. And he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba. This guy who, who had just done all, the, all, of her, all of her world is built around his falsehood. And he's afraid of her now. And he runs. Now the interesting thing was, I don't see in here, I could be wrong, but I don't see it written that God told him to run. You know, God sent him to the brook, brook Cherub. That was a word from God. But this says, Then he was afraid, and he arose, and he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left the servant there. But he by himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under the broom tree. And he asked that he might die. We talked about community. So he left his servant back there. He left all the people he knew, and he was by himself again. That's where God, excuse me, that's where the, the enemy likes to get us in isolation with nobody around us. And we can just think that we're just ready to die. I'm done. I've given everything. I'm the only one here. I love how he gripes to God. He says, I'm the only one here. I'm the only one following you. I'm the only one. And that's not true because we can read back. There was there was a hundred other prophets in the cave that had been fed by one of the, the, the stewards of the, the house. There was, there was, I believe, 7,000 in Israel that had never bowed a knee to Baal and never had kissed Baal. But what did the enemy do to the prophet? He took him off in isolation. And he whispered to him. He was tired. He had done a great work. But he was tired. He was physically tired. So what happened? How many of you have been that tired? There's, there's a lot of us that have been that tired. But you know what God did? He sent an angel. He had laid down, Elijah had laid down basically to die. God sent an angel, and the angel made a cake, gave him a, a jug of water. I believe it's 40 40 days that the angel ministered to him and helped him to recover his strength. And then God came to the prophet and he said, what are you doing here? Twice he asked him in Scripture, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? First he, first he, he restored him. First he, he made him healthy again. And then he said, why have you put yourself in this situation? What are you doing here? That's how I interpret that. And, and Elijah, again, he's griping to God. He said, I've been very jealous for, for, for the Lord, for 
the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. Woe is me. I added the woe is me. I'm sorry. And they seek my life to take it away. They're, they're trying to kill me. What are you doing here, Elijah? And the Lord said to him, Go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you will anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nemeshi. You shall anoint another king over Israel, and Elisha the son, it looks like Snapchat, but it's Shaphat, of Abel Meleth. So, so God took him from the wilderness. And he he re put his he put his power back on him and he said, Now you're you're to go call forth these new kings and you're to anoint the kings over our land. Not only that, you know what else he did? You know who Elijah was? He was his closest friend and his confidant. Elisha was actually the one that when, when Elijah was taken up in the whirlwind, that asked for the double portion. So he was no longer off by himself. God God restored his soul. He restored his body. And then he put him back into his calling and back into community. And it was all from simple obedience. Because even when we're having a bad day, we can choose to be obedient. Amen? So what, what is obedience? What is, what is the commandments of God? He cares for us. We have to know that. We have to know that he paid the cost. His, his, his commandments are simple. Love God, your Lord, with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your, your will, emotions. And we've already talked about how we don't even have to do that in our own will. He's given us supernatural faith if we would just lean into it. The second is as simple as he is love your neighbor as yourself. In Ephesians In Ephesians 4.30, it says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted and forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So those days that we point to the people over in the corner, we talk bad about them, and we, we gossip, and we backbite. We're grieving the Holy Spirit. We're not being obedient to what, what He's called us to do. He's, he's called us to forgive. He's called us to walk with Him in humility. The rest of it, He takes care of. But we, we have to choose to forgive. First, you have to receive it. That's, that's the good news. Because if you can earn it, it's not worth having. Amen? Let's see if I can just skip through a lot of this real quick. I'm, I'm, I'm at my time. But in John 10, 6 through 11, is where 
He says that we can have life abundantly. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it abundantly. The enemy comes but to steal and destroy, but, but I'm the good shepherd. So follow me. I forgot to put the reference, but that's Matthew 6.34, where it says all of these things will be added to you. You talk about your food, your, your clothing, your, your housing. All of these things will be added to you. But, but for them to be added to you, we're actually, we're, this is important. We're going to look at this. This is Matthew 6, 27 through 34 in the Message Bible. Has anyone by fussing in front of a mirror ever gotten taller? By so much as an inch. All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think that it makes much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop. But have you ever seen the color and design quite like it? The ten best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in you? Do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is get you to relax and not be so preoccupied with getting don't we get sometimes we get a little preoccupied with getting? So you can respond to God's giving. We've got to, we've got to be both givers and receivers. People who don't know God and the way He works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how He works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Let me ask you real quick, is God a God of lack? No. Why do we approach Him that way? He takes care of us. He takes care of His kids. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. And if we just believe that, if we just live that way, if we just said yes to God, He could take care of everything we need. Amen?